0: Thanks for tuning in to REACH Radio, a podcast for public health professionals looking to expand their network, be inspired, and discover resources and tools that help improve the experience of public health professionals and patients in their communities. I'm your host, Fran. Hi everyone, and welcome to REACH Radio. I am honored to be able to introduce you to Lori Cook, the president and CEO of the Healthcare Business Association. Under her leadership, the organization has grown substantially to a community of nearly 60,000 with more than 50 HBA locations and members from nearly 30 countries. Lori's career has spanned global roles across several industries and continents, holding executive positions within the MPI, that is the Project Management Institute, as well as international positions within healthcare and within the life sciences. Under her leadership, now in her position as the CEO of HBA, she has helped to really take bold action to close the gender gap in the industry workplace. She's busy driving HBA's mission to advocate for not only individuals, but to garner support from nearly 150 industry companies, many of whom are Fortune 500 listed. Lori, welcome to the show. Thanks, Fran. I'm
1: really glad to be here. We're excited to have you. Tell us a little bit more about your organization. Well, the HBA stands for a Healthcare Business Women's Association, and we're a not-for-profit for women really across the healthcare and life sciences industry. So the public health community is absolutely a welcome and needed voice in our association. We've been creating really meaningful um, environments for women to grow professionally, but also to meet other women, get new ideas um, and and help each other. So we do things like mentoring, education, leadership development programs, and really great awards programs to recognize those, those great role models around us. So if you want to find us, we are in 55 locations across North America. Europe, and we do a lot of online programs. We actually did 650 events last year. Um, So people join us from all across the world.
0: Wow, that's fantastic. What are some of your most popular topics?
1: Wow. You know, because we have such a range of people in our industry, people are interested in different things at different points in their career. But one thing that seems to always get high audience is when we learn about the stories of other women who have developed in their careers. So. People want to understand, you know, how did you do it? What were your problems? You know, did you have mentors? Things like that. So those are definitely the top attended events. That's really phenomenal. You know, it seems as
0: though when you look at the statistics, right, there often there's commentary about not having enough representation of women within the fields of healthcare and life sciences. Do you hear some of the perhaps causes of that come to the surface in some of the conversations and some of the programs that your organization features?
1: Sure. And we definitely heard that. And that's why the HBA has been working really dedicatedly to get a number of women. So we have a leader-ready pipeline, right? It's not that, that people can't find talented women. What we started to see is the issue is not we're trying to fix women, like there's something wrong with women. It was something's wrong with the organizations in which they work, right? Things were holding them back. So we call them systemic issues. So that's when we moved from just supporting women in our association to supporting companies so they could figure out how they could get the best talent, attract, advance, and retain that talent. So that's when we really saw a shift in what we were doing, how we were doing it. And we're now starting to see that needle move on the number of women at all levels of leadership. So it was quite exciting to see that. It's really
0: exciting. And then it's hard to imagine, but I would presume that there are challenges, right? That your organization has faced in terms of perhaps growth or even engagement from all corners of the market or the economy? Can you tell us a little bit about what kind
1: of challenges your
0: organization has faced?
1: I think um, there is uh, sometimes seen as it's a zero-sum game, right? If you promote a woman, then the man no longer has a seat at the table. And we wanted to make sure we had male allies. So we worked really hard on trying to help companies to see the benefit, right? Why is it important to have diverse teams at the table? And that's when you start to see that if you do have more women at the table in healthcare, who is the end customer? It's a woman, right? It tends to be the woman in the family that is looking after the health of that family. So if you've got more women at the table, you better understand who that customer is So, you know, speaking sort of more in business terms using the term customer, but that's when you start to recognize what it is your company, whatever service you're providing, whether it might be medicines or or home health care or, you know, within the public health, you see what it is they face on a daily basis. So you are much more knowledgeable about how your business can support um, that customer. So we definitely, when we made that shift to help see the business case, that's when it made it easier for people to say, okay, that, that makes good sense. We do have to have more women at all levels.
0: And what about from the female perspective in terms of, you mentioned the word retention earlier. Can you talk to us about some of what you see in terms of trends, in terms of women going into industry and actually staying in industry? So,
1: there's an organization called McKinsey, and they do an annual um, report. And in that report, looking at how women are progressing, they noticed there was this one place um, that was really holding women up. So, women were coming in at least in equal numbers, and quite often more women than men coming into the healthcare and life sciences industry, but they weren't moving forward. And what they found is that very first step whether it is women don't put their hand up to take that next step because they're in the throes of having a family and you know getting married and doing various you know pieces in that point in their lives that more men were getting that first promotion and then once you get that first promotion that talent pool of people from then on there's more men than women so sort of statistically You start to have more men promoted and they call it the broken rung. So if you think about a ladder and that rung is broken, so if you can start to look at what's happening there and make sure the hiring managers are really looking at, am I supporting the talent that I have in my organization, right? They're really looking, not just waiting for somebody to step up and put their hand up. That has made a difference in terms of women being attracted to the industry and staying in the industry. And the companies that are doing that definitely see an improved retention of women. I'm going to ask a question. Do you really believe
0: that corporations really care and have a genuine interest in the advancement of women?
1: So I would say it depends. And the reason I say that is I do think there are companies that truly care because they see the difference in the outcomes. When you have more women sitting at the table, you have more innovation because women tend to be more likely to look around the table, make sure everyone is having a voice. So you hear more perspectives, you get better ideas. So there's more innovation um, women tend to be more empathetic. So they care about the employees that come to work. So the employees are happier. So the employees stay. If you have great employees, you're going to have a much better outcome in terms of the service you're providing. So there are companies that definitely see it. So there's a moral part of it. It's just the right thing to do. And then there's a the piece where it actually has business benefit, right? And there's there's many studies But the reason I do believe it is I see leaders at companies, I talk with them, and sometimes they are looking at the data and it's not good. And they say, like, why? We really want to change this. So we started a program called The Collaborative, and we have 16 companies that come together and help each other, which is not something you tend to see. That's how dedicated they are to change this paradigm. And we've already seen those companies 12% have 12% on average, more women at all levels than companies who aren't doing that. So I do think companies care. It's just not all companies have gotten the message yet, but we're working on it.
0: That's really, really fascinating. And if we were to flip this and say the impact that that has directly, you started to go down the path right of talking about it, the impact that it has directly on the consumer. Let's talk about it from the perspective of the in the healthcare consumer and mm-hmm. patient. How do you see it really kind of pause? You know, influencing whether it's positive or negative. How do you see it being influencing their experiences overall?
1: Well, you know, that's the piece that we have just recently come to as the HBA is the you know what does it matter if you have gender parity? Is it really going to make a difference? And we do think it will because you are more aware of the end patient. So, what we do believe by changing the gender parity paradigm is that we will get better health equity and better health outcomes. And and if you just think about putting a a clinical trial for the vaccines, if you think about that, because we all hear about that on TV right now, if you truly care about that, you're going to make sure the people in that vaccine trial represent the real people who are going to get that vaccine. And so, that's where more gender diversity people are thinking about that end population. So hopefully they're going to get products that help them get better faster. So I do really think that will be an improvement, but more than that, I think there's a trust issue, right? I don't know that the healthcare industry has the level of trust that it should have in all populations. So if we can have a more empathetic workforce, I think we will start to develop that trust. So that's why I I think there'll be better health outcomes. So I want to look at, examine sort of the flip side of it
0: a little bit, right? Areas of the industry where it seems to be more female dominated, like nursing, as an example. Can you talk to us a little bit about that, the perspective on areas like nursing where there's an opportunity perhaps to create for more gender bias or balance rather, perhaps in the opposite direction a little bit?
1: Well, you know, nursing is a really interesting case study because when you think about where nursing was it, for people of the, the older generation, right, uh, right. right you think nurse, you think female, right? right? But nursing has become a profession that has attracted a lot more men. And I think that's a good thing because now when you think about a nurse, you don't immediately have that image in your head. And so when you think about that population of nurses being more more gender balanced, of course, it is still more female than male. We all have our own strengths, right? And so you bring that to the table, whether it's the male, female, but it's also just within any person, you've got strengths and weaknesses. The thing that we weren't I'm pleased to see, though, is when you look even at the nursing profession and you look at those more senior levels, like within a hospital administration, there are more men. And so it's back to what I said earlier. It's not about we don't have amazing leader ready women. There is bias and and systemic issues in the organizational structure. That's what we've got to hit. I
0: love, Lori, that you're able to call that out for what it, you know, for what it is, how you see it, how it is. It's not how you're seeing it. It's just how It it, how it is, right? And the work that your organization is doing to address that is really, you know, applaudable. I'm curious to know when you're going in and you're addressing perhaps a younger generation of women. What are some of the key messages that you like to stress upon them?
1: Well, I'm excited about younger generations because they come into the workforce less biased, right? They've been brought up in school in working in teams. They don't see things in the same way. So they are going to be a true help um, to us. The other thing is that in that reduced bias that they have, they don't have bias around the role. So you're more likely to have a man say, I want to spend more time with my kids. So that work-life balance that you know, we as older women in the workforce, the, the mature folks in the spectrum, they have just like had the, the dual job. They had the job in their career and then they went home and they had their second job. And now we're getting to the point where men and women in the younger end of the spectrum are seeing things differently. And so they're demanding a different way of working. And companies really need to adjust the way of our environment and what we're expecting out of people and what the reward systems look like. We just see things very differently. So what I encourage uh, younger women to be thinking about is really be open to looking at role models um, in terms of what could be, because sometimes we come in and we don't have an awareness of what's possible. So learn as much as you can from role models who have kind of gone that path before you and ask if they'll help you. And I am 100% sure they are going to say yes. Because they had some tough times and they want to pass on that wisdom. So I encourage that strongly. That's awesome. And when you look out
0: to the future, the things that you like, you know, that you're envisioning for your organization, perhaps some growth areas or things that are already on the horizon, would you like to share some of those with
1: us? So the thing that I'm probably most excited about is the HBA always thought we were there for all women. And what we are now realizing with all and I think the the world is realizing is women of color are not progressing at the same rate as white women. And when we started to really look at it, and again, I'll quote that McKinsey study, the data, when you pull back, you're seeing more women moving forward and we're all cheering. That's a wonderful thing. But when you peel back the layers, it's more white women are progressing, and that's just unacceptable. So we, um, we made some changes in the HBA. We now have a head of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. We practice what we preach inside our organization, we make sure we are role modeling to other companies and we are right now we're in a, a listening tour. We need to really understand what it is that is happening in companies, but what's happening in the lives of all of our members. And we need to make some changes. And we're doing that and we're seeing some very positive response. And it just makes us feel really good to be in touch and in tune with the membership and what our industry needs, because this has gone on for way too long. And we want to have a really vocal voice in saying, stop, this has to change. I think that
0: that's really, really great. And if you, when you think about the road to get there and the resources that you have found to be valuable and assisting, you know, the advancement of your organization and perhaps even the inclusion initiatives that you have going on, what are some of those tools, perhaps a tool that, you know, our listeners might be overlooking or tend to overlook? What would you recommend that they consider?
1: I always recommend that you have mentors and sponsors. So that's one thing, and that's something anyone can have. It doesn't cost you any money at all. And mentors are people that guide you in some specific way. I want to learn how to maybe... And be a better professional speaker so I can stand up and speak about um, my idea. But a sponsor is someone who sees the spark in you and helps open some doors for you. So if you like, they put their political capital on the line to say, she can do this, let's give her a chance. So those are two kind of simple ways. But the way that sometimes I don't think people think about is volunteering, because when you volunteer, you are getting firsthand, like really hands-on knowledge on how to do something or how not to do something. So join an association and volunteer. It is the best leadership development you will be able to find.
0: I love that, but I've got to go back to it for a minute. We've got to dive a little deeper on this one. Mentors, we hear it all the time, but seriously, like how do you really get a mentor or, and also be fair, maybe sometimes people don't even know they have a mentor when they have one, but it sounds so easy to say, but it's not often or necessarily easy for everyone to get a mentor or to have a mentor. So how do you, how do you cultivate that? How do you make that happen as a woman?
1: Well, one thing I think you, you nailed is sometimes you don't even realize you have mentors. So if you think about, it, it might be your mother, it may, your grandmother, it may be your best friend. Mentors are people who would tell you like it is, like the way, you know, your hair really doesn't look good or, um, you know, the way you answered that question or you address that person, you could have done better. So there are super informal kinds of mentorship that are happening every day. I think when you, it, some people think about mentors and really think about very formal mentorship. And yes, that is harder to cultivate because you have to put yourself out there to ask someone, would you be my mentor? Right. And that's a really hard thing to say. So what I tell people is, is to warm up to it a little bit. Right. So you get to know someone, you see, how can I help them? What can I do to help them when they, perhaps you, you are doing a volunteer role, right? You are working side by side with someone, you're learning from them and you can say to them, I have learned so much from you. You know, would you be willing to have coffee with me? Um, You know, like 15 minutes, have a coffee. I'd like to ask you about something and, and whatever that something is that you need, right? In terms of your development, or you just ask to talk to them about how they got into their career and people love to talk about themselves. So they they'll say yes. And then, You just develop, could we, could we have coffee again? You don't have to call them your mentor. You don't have to have that formal ask. Make it a little bit lighter, right? And and I think everyone can lean into that. Then you'll get your confidence and then you can actively say, I would love for you to be my mentor.
0: I think that's really great advice, right? Because really what I'm sort of hearing is it doesn't have to be formal. It could be unofficial, but it's really about building relationships and getting to know people and in the process of that, asking the questions of those individuals that can help feed your own development. I like that a lot. Now we're going to switch to sponsors because for some people, that's a new term, right? It's like, I guess that's like the late 1990s, 2000s, we started to talk about sponsorship. Like that didn't really exist before. So what is the sponsorship thing and how do you really, at what point in your career are you likely to find that person? And if you have it, what's the appropriate way of going about identifying
1: one, finding mm-hmm. yourself one? You know, when you watch those TV shows um, and there, there's always the young guy and the older guy and the older guy has the younger guy as like his protege. And he brings them into a meeting on, and when something happens, you know, he slaps them on the back and says, hey, John here can do that. Right. So a sponsor is someone who it tends to be at like a couple of levels more senior to you. They tend to be in meetings you're not in. They tend to um, know people you don't know. So what happens is they know your skills. They know what you can do because they've observed you. So a sponsor needs to be someone who you have proven yourself in front of, right? Um, And so it is your responsibility to make sure as that, I'll call it the person to be sponsored, that you deliver. You say, I'm going to do something, you deliver. And that person knows they can count on you. So when something happens where there's an opportunity, we need um, someone to take on a stretch opportunity or maybe a promotion even, they think of you. So you can get very formalized sponsorship programs where an organization may say everyone needs to have at least two people they're sponsoring, one person of color, right? And they can they can you know, get that formalized. But quite often you, you have to have that trust. I need to know I can count on you, Fran, because when something comes up and I say, oh, I want to introduce you to Fran, she, you know, will be able to do that. So that's what a, a sponsor does. I'm not sitting here having meetings with you, mentoring you on some topic. It's more of the opportunities knock, you they open the door for you. And then you have to prove yourself because that person put their name on the line to put you forward and you need to deliver. And then quite often sponsors and sponsees stay together like their whole careers because they know you made them look good. Next time there's an opportunity, you go, I know Fran and you just kind of keep going with them. So everybody moves up that value chain together.
0: Sounds like a harder one, a harder one to develop. Right, it like is. I yes. mean, it sounds like you know, like when people say they're, you know, they're gonna find their guru, and they never, it's like, uh, they never find their guru. But you know, there's some philosophical things we could go into there, but we won't. But you know, this the idea that's it's that it's that endless search. Should you be on a search? Is this is like finding your mate.
1: Like, what is this? <laughs> Um, no, I would say it's more when you see someone that you admire. I, for me, I could never be some, somebody's, be the sponsee, you know, the protege of someone that I didn't respect, right? So you see someone you really respect and and you want to help them. So if you just get down to the more human nature, I'm more likely to want to help someone I like. So If you are doing something and you do something well, it it sort of happens naturally. However, what I would say the intentional piece is you need to realize that person knows who I am. I did a good thing. I need to make sure that connection stays strong. So you nurture it a, a little bit. Like, you know, maybe if you work in an office environment, you stop by and you say, Hey, is there anything I can help you with? Right. You, I mean, you can do it like little drop-ins, things like that to to keep in mind. I know some people that do um things like the if if they know somebody's interested in a football team or some particular thing, they'll send them articles or news items, right? So you just keep yourself in in front of them, their their awareness of you. So when something comes up, they remember, oh yeah, that person. I really like
0: that. And as you were speaking, Laurie, it made me think about the last one, which was volunteer, because it, in a way it sort of seems like uh, if you emanate the behavior that you want to, see, you know, ha- see out of others and perhaps that will positively affect you, then you do those things, right? So you be the one to identify someone and, and sponsor them and in, doing that, you know. So let's talk a little bit about that one on the volunteer side. I could see where, you know, folks have so much going on. That it's oftentimes not easy for them to or they feel as though it's not easy. I wouldn't say that it's not easy, but they feel as though it's just one more thing to volunteer. Do you guys watch the numbers at all? Just curious, it's you know, it doesn't matter if you are or you're not, but just curious to know, are you watching the numbers at all on volunteerism? And what are your suggestions on, especially for healthcare, right? I mean you've been working if you're working in healthcare all day long, add one more thing on healthcare to your plate when you just want to kind of break out of the bubble for a little bit sometimes can be hard. Talk to us about what that looks yeah. like within the healthcare sector.
1: So I'd say two things on that. Um, One is I absolutely appreciate at the end of the day, are you really thinking about going out to something? But I would say it, when you do, you are so glad you did because it's a different part of your life, right? It stimulates a different part of your brain. And you, you're you there and you go, I am so glad I came. So when you're in that place, it's like, you know, when you're, you need to exercise and you're thinking, that's the last thing I want to do. You know, you're going to feel better about it. So that's why I do think you can fit it in. That may look different to different people, right? So you find a volunteer role that fits in, in your life. If you have little kids and you have to be at home. Maybe your volunteer activity is you're doing something where you enter data, you know, on a computer in the you know, you fit it in when the kids are asleep, something like that. But staying connected to other people outside your family unit, I think the pandemic has shown how much we crave and we miss that. So that's what you're doing is creating circles of people that you know that can be there to support you.
0: I really love that a lot. I I do quite a, well, this is, you know, Reach Radio is all volunteer. So love it. Absolutely love it. And it does make a a huge difference. There's a certain sense of fulfillment, satisfaction that you just, you don't get in other circles. So thank you for sharing that with us. Laura, you have been amazing to have with us today. It's been so much fun. I can't believe that the time has gone so fast. Mm -hmm. But, you know, everything that you've spoken to really at the end of the day hits home in terms of, what is necessary for us to truly advance healthcare in ways that bring on board new perspectives, fresh ideas, and much needed resources in an industry where we're seeing significant shortages in all different sectors of the market. So thank you so much for your time today. If folks want to get a hold of you or learn more about your organization, what's
1: the best way for them to do that? Our website is really informative. So I would go to hbanet.org,
0: hbanet.org. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Lori, for being with us today. And thank you to our listeners. Thanks for tuning into Reach Radio. This program is made possible by listeners like you. To learn more about Reach and to support this program, visit www.reachtl.org.